Hubhopper Originals. I have with me uh, Siddharth Kaira, who's back after a long, long uh, time. I shouldn't say sabbatical because apparently we've tried to do so many episodes, but I sleep on Sunday mornings and apparently he's been busy. But finally, uh, good to have you back on the show because we are going to discuss Liverpool's Premier League triumph, uh, their first title in 30 years. Pretty awesome the way they've uh, managed to do it. Everything around that, Arsenal's transition under Mikel Arteta and uh, you know the top four race in general. So, uh, without wasting a single second, let's go straight to you, Siddharth Mehra, and let's uh, have your thoughts on Liverpool's first title in 30 years. So, if you see me adjusting my hat, that's my uh, that's my homage to Jurgen Klopp <laughs> and his hat. <laughs> I have a Liverpool hat, uh, you know, with the German flag on the side, but uh, <laughs> that's why I decided to, you know, just put on a hat. Uh, yeah, but this is uh, <laughs> unbelievable achievement. By Liverpool, really. I mean, uh, you know, to win it, but of trying, and uh, also to win it as emphatically as they did, you know, uh, and then having to wait, uh, you know, for, for 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 about three months before you can play those two games that would have uh, that or three games that would have sealed the title. That that's kind of, you know, you you expect the worst with uh, with with Liverpool fans, right? Uh, I've always said that. Uh, after Arsenal fans, I, I really respect Liverpool, Liverpool fan, uh, fans a lot because uh, you know they've had to go through a lot of suffering. So many, um, so many, they've had so many squads that were uh, you know almost there but not. Then the infamous Gerard slip and uh, you know Chris Bull and all that stuff. You know they've had European success in between, uh, quite a bit of it. In fact, when I around the time that I started watching a lot of football, you know they had Michael Owen on the. Uh, um, at that time, that time the UEFA Cup was a big deal. Now, nowadays everybody makes fun of Europa League and stuff. But uh, honestly speaking, it's a it was a prestigious trophy in the 80s, 90s, and other thousands. But uh, not digressing towards Owen and stuff. Kudos to this, to this team. I think when we did the last podcast, um, we had spoken about uh, you know can Klopp learn from the disappointments of uh, losing a championship. And come yeah. in a point of winning the league. I mean, the, the last league uh, performance that they had was was good enough to win most most, uh, most yeah. titles. They were just yeah. out, outdone by a really good city. Um, uh, you know, so so normally, what you see with new managers in in Premier League is they come in and they they are able to win leagues with new manager pumps like Conte did. Right, he came in straight away on a league. Uh, you know. Couple of others have come in. Ranieri came in with straight away won a league. Uh, very few of them come face adversity or actually face disappointment and then are able to build on that and then win a league. You know, even Arsene Wenger, he came in, he managed half a season and then he won a league right away. So, so Mourinho to back leagues, right? But Klopp has had to work really hard. He's had to build a squad. Uh, you know, I was, I was. There's so much material to read right now about their. Um, about the triumph, um, yeah. but you do a side-by-side -side comparison of the first eleven that he put out and the eleven that that the last eleven that he put out. The difference in quality is, is, is staggering. Just the front three, um, you know. I, I guess only Coutinho was the only real superstar in that in that team that he that he first put out, and and a lot of this title win has been thanks to um, Taylor. 
you know, which probably is is shrewd, um, you know, transfers that anybody ever made uh, in in the Premier League that essentially funded three players that that drove them to the title, gave them a new spine. So yeah, I mean, uh, people don't realize how tough it it has been. I mean, to, to put things in context, Man City this year, in terms of XG um, allowed and XG created have had one of the all-time great seasons. They've just not been able to finish. I mean, they they are a side at its peak. De Bruyne is having another fantastic season. He's probably going to end up breaking uh, Thierry Henry's uh, assist record. Um, but but people don't realize just how good this Man City team has been. Um, and, and for them to completely blow them out of the water, it's it's been, you know, win by such an emphatic margin with so much time to spare. It's been a huge, huge achievement. And for me, uh, you know, Jurgen Klopp has cemented himself, um, you know, as as one of the greatest of all time. Definitely the best coach in this era. You know, I'm a huge Pep fan. I make a lot of fun of him <laughs> uh, uh, from time to time. And, you know, everybody does that. But, uh, you know, I, 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 I've, I have learned a lot personally as a as a coach from Pep, uh, you know, just just uh, seeing the way he's adapted and stuff. But uh, you know, he's taken a bit of a hit in terms of his reputation simply because of the way Klopp has managed this team. You know, there's Pep knows one way to win. His one way to win is 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 elite. You know, but but Klopp knows multiple ways to win. Now he can he can attack you. He can sit back. He can wait things out. He can grind out results. He's shown us that he can do it multiple different ways, and um, and he has improved players better than Pep has improved players for you know for my money. So uh, you know Liverpool uh, better hold on to Klopp as long as they can. Uh, you know hopefully they can make a run at the title next year as well. I I think they'll have to make. Um, They'll have to make some, um, you know, some purchases. They can't have another season where they don't buy anyone, because you know there's some complacency will set in, right? But uh, but congratulations to all the Liverpool fans that I know, uh, the OG Liverpool fans, and all all the groups that I'm on, and you know, Jaydev, Nikhil, who's not not uh, not that online that much anymore. Uh, you know, all all the guys. You know, you who you are. Congratulations, guys. This has been a long time coming, and milk it for all that it's worth. Uh, I will say, still, Fabinho is still a bum, though. I mean, he's. Uh, I will maintain that. Um, I don't care what anybody says. He's just played by uh, by Henderson, right? So that's my initial take, yeah. uh, take, take on, on Liverpool. Congratulations, guys! Tremendous, tremendous. Definitely, the the one thing that you spoke about is Jurgen Klopp uh, and how he has managed to win it. Uh, he has multiple ways to win it. But let's talk about the first day of his appointment and the line, you know, from doubters to believers. And they've stuck with, he stuck with that. If you look at the 11 right now, and if you look at the 11, then only there were, there are only three mainstays from that team. But uh, also that brings into uh, picture the FSG model that's been talked about, that's become a global success now. And we've spoken about this offline a lot. And uh, we've read a lot of uh, the, the, their articles, especially the 2018-19 part when nine commercial deals were signed uh, by FSG. And, you know, that has elevated them. Let's talk about that FSG model uh, as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, FSG obviously is uh, near and dear to me because of 
you know them being located in Massachusetts in Boston they own the Red Sox um you know and the Red Sox uh, you know nobody really follows baseball until the playoffs and then everybody becomes a baseball fan here but uh, you know FSG came in and were able to you know take i think a 80 plus year drought and and turn them and turn the Red Sox into a championship championship winning side and since then they have won multiple championships so uh, you know FSG uh, like a lot of american owners in the premier league and you know we know more about that than anybody else because of the cronkies and arsenal uh, have been much maligned you know what do these americans know about football or soccer or you know whatever it is that people try to make fun of uh, but but this this is the model that people should be following right this it's self sustainable it's based on analytics and scouting and good coaching and that's how fsg manages their other franchises as well um you know if you've read or seen the movie moneyball uh, there's a you know it's about the oakland um, a's athletics and 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 billy bean and how he leveraged sabermetrics you know to create a uh, to create a team that was punching above its weight they never really won anything but you know they 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 were able to uh, they were able to get players on really good deals and and create a very profitable sort of franchise model right uh, if you watch the movie you you've seen the scene in which billy bean is interviewed by john henry at the red sox at uh, fenway park uh, for him to come and manage the red sox so billy bean declined that and he he wanted to stay with uh, with the a's and you know he's since become a um evangelist for analytics but uh, you know fsg went ahead and hired uh, somebody else who who adopted that billy bean model and was able to turn the red sox so he he took he took that analytics model and applied it at scale and they were able to win multiple championships off of the back of that right so you don't analytics doesn't mean that uh, you know you have to only look for the cheapest deals out there the value deals you can also look for the expensive deals that 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 will become short shot hits and that's exactly what they did with michael edwards uh, you know fsg uh, believe in hiring really well and giving people the resources that they need and then getting out of the way you know john henry doesn't uh, doesn't doesn't really participate in the day to day workings of uh, liverpool football club you know michael edwards is the is is the guy who's kind of risen through pr- uh, prominence and there's if you have a subscription to the athletic i would suggest going and reading the uh, the piece on him that they've done it's 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 really it's really there's a lot of good information in there as to how you know he came through the ranks to be where he is right now so uh, you know the the beautiful part about this whole model is that this sold really well right i mean they bought well but they, they were obvious buys everybody knew andike was going to be a good player everybody knew that alisson was a significant improvement on carries and minnelle uh, everybody knew uh, if you have been following salah you saw the season that he had with roma nobody thought he would be as good as he was in the premier league but you knew that you were going to get goals from him right at, at uh, you know you would at least expect him to give you 50, 20 goals and assists right and he surpassed that in multiple seasons um and everybody and mane was a bit of a sleeper but uh, you know you could see he was doing decently as a that so um you know they they bought well they bought obviously but they sold incredibly well i mean you getting 26 million for mamadou sako from crystal palace right um you know 
it, that's insane. Uh, I think they sold Danny Ward for a really huge amount as well. They sold Coutinho for 140 million. In, in on what planet is Philip Coutinho worth 140 million? It was just an absurd deal for them to do. You know, Barcelona will go out of the way to do deals like that. But you know, essentially, uh, their net spend in the last five years is 92 million pounds, which is which is ridiculous. I mean, there's there's clubs at the in the bottom half that have higher net spend than that. So um, you know that that's really the FSG model: hire well, hire well at all levels, including people who run your club, uh, the commercial people, the technical director, the analytics team, the the coach, uh, and then let them do their job. Uh, sell when you need to. When you get an insane offer, they're not scared to sell people. Uh, and then and then and then buy quality based off of analytics and good scouting. So uh, I think that's the model everybody should try and follow. Obviously, Klopp being the coach that he is can get you to that first place in Champions League. But if other clubs want to stay in the Premier League, that's probably the the path that they should be looking at. You know, it's it's and which is why this feels kind of special, right? Because uh, you know. You can come and say that, oh, Liverpool have spent so much money and stuff. But yeah, they've recovered money too. They've not spent stupid money. They're not, you know, you can accuse them of wasting money earlier on. You know, when FSG first came in, there were some there were some kind of questionable purchases like Balotelli and then Ricky Lambert and that kind of stuff. But to get to where they have gotten to today, you have to go through that tough period as well, right? Um, so, I mean, you know, th this is this is the path I think that they, they'll probably want to stick on as long as they, they own Liverpool, which I think will be for a while. Um, and, uh, and, 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 you know, I think, I think it's really commendable what they've done. I think um, one of the things that that is a little bit of a outlier with this Liverpool team is uh, usually when, you know, if you compare them to the Red Sox and the championship teams that they've had with the Red Sox, they don't usually do a lot in the following season. So they win a championship and they almost like take the next season off. You know, like they don't they don't really do a lot of um, um, a lot of recruiting. Uh, they usually let players go who are seeking better contracts and then then they have a bad year and then they rebuild again from there. Um, you know, but they've won a championship after not buying anyone. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Uh, you know, they passed on Werner, I guess. Um, Chelsea came in with like a ridiculous offer, but I think they still need to strengthen. I don't think Minamino is enough for them to uh, keep a sustained, uh, you know, run at the title because Chelsea are strengthening. Um, you know, Man City are strengthening, but it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But really, that's really the model you want to follow. Really well, very well explained. That you know, goosebumps right now. If you can uh, check, and uh, there are a couple. Things, there are a couple of things that I'm going to club here and I'm going to ask you is uh, uh, the this elite elite manager mentality. There are great managers. There are elite managers. Klopp is definitely elite. Uh, there's a statement that Gary Neville passed, you know, and uh, that is uh, there are clubs that there are managers that turn 30 million players into 130 and 130 into 30 was a very yep. strong statement. And Klopp is definitely a guy who can turn academy products into 100 plus million uh, uh, you know, uh, sell, sell, transfer sellings. Uh, let's talk a bit more on that. You know, Robertson, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold easily was, could go for insane money if they went, isn't it? Correct. So, good point, but caveat. Right. So, uh, Robertson is Robertson is a good player. Robertson uh, is a good defender. He's great at putting crosses in. 
and stuff. Um, so is Trent. But Trent is a little suspect coming back. You know, if 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 you see the Norwich uh, defeat that they had, right? Uh, they continuously targeted Trent and the half space between him and the centre back, and they got exposed multiple times. The fact is that Liverpool protect their full back so well with their intense pressure in midfield that uh, you know that, that that never becomes an issue, right? So you you do your best to hide your weaknesses. Is is the is the the, the way you can protect your weaknesses is the hallmark of a good coach. Uh, I agree with Gary Neville around you know around the fact that he can take. You know, players with zero value, you know, who've come through the academy and turned them into 100 million plus players. But I don't know if Trent will be successful at a Real Madrid. I don't know if Trent will be successful at uh, Barcelona the same way he is at Liverpool. So there are there are a lot of players in there that 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 are uh, that that have benefited from the system. All right, if you take a Salah out of Liverpool. And put him in Real Madrid or in a, in a Barcelona team, for that matter, any any team in the world, you will get output from Mohamed Salah. He's just that talented, and he has that ability to be able to deliver, uh, you know, in multiple different systems. Sadio Mane too, I think he can do that just simply because his game has elevated from good player to elite level player. You know, I honestly think he's more important to their system than Salah is. Um, you know, although Salah is probably more talented. Um, Firmino, not sure. I, I'm not sure if he can if he can do it with another team. He did it did some with Hoffenheim. He actually had a really good uh, record in the Bundesliga. I think he was the he was the second most productive Brazilian after Neymar uh, when he was in the Bundesliga or something like that. So kind of a little bit of a sleeper. But uh, you know there are players that that I personally think may struggle outside Klopp's system. So, but having said that. Liverpool don't care if you know somebody comes in with some sort of absurd offer for Trent or or for Robertson, and you know they see value in that, then they should sell him. They don't. They need not worry about what happens after that, right? But uh, you know you can elevate the price of a player, but that does not necessarily equate to you know improving the player to be able to play in multiple different systems, right? So. Um, yeah, I, I agree with Gary Neville to an extent, but I also think it depends on on the system and the player that's being. Yeah, correct, correct. Very well uh, put forward, and uh, you know, just when we were when you were speaking, the Sheffield took the lead, Spurs okay. equalized, and then VAR ruled their goal out. So Sheffield still lead one nil. <laughs> so who scored for who scored for Spurs that that goal got ruled out? uh let uh, there's a post from shorja on uh, the the group but <laughs> i have to uh, i will check that out as soon as you're speaking on the next question well uh, let's move on from liverpool i mean it's it's a great uh, win i think this is this this win is special for many reasons especially for uh, self sustaining clubs that believe in self a self sustaining model and uh, the right way of uh, doing it for the first time in 16 years since the invincibles this felt like a, a proper win uh, for me as well i spent the last weekend reading on the fsg model reading on the tactics between klopp and pep and i waited and waited and waited and waited for this episode and we can do many more of these going forward you can see in my speech and you know i wouldn't just come here for the sake of coming like last week so uh, let's move on to our club then and let's move on to mikel arteta's arsenal the one that is in transition obviously a three month uh, lockdown 
things coming to halt mikel arteta being tested positive and then fighting back to normalcy uh he's, he we knew that when he inherited the squad it, it was going to be a mess to you know clear out and uh, what have you made of these all these games that have happened so far especially from the man city game so um couple of thoughts we never really discussed arteta in detail previously right we were still i think this is the first one we've done since emery went so <laughs> yeah uh, you know we can say that for another yeah. podcast let's talk about arteta so <laughs> um so clearly he he was always very highly rated right so uh you know he was the initial choice then gazidis chickened out and and we decided to go for the safer option in unai emery everybody made their peace with that because you know of his record you know that emery would be the guy he, you know he might not win the championship he probably won't win you a premier league but he might get you into top four and he came really close to doing that objectively yes the football that he put forward was so i still maintain that unai emery could 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 play attacking football he just chose not to and that was his downfall right and he never really knew what 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 identity to give this team with arteta out of the gate you had an identity you know he he was uh, you know i i hate to say this but you know his his ability to communicate clearly is seems to be helping much better than unai's did and sometimes that makes a difference you know um so so you know out of the gate you could see that he had this system where he wanted us to press uh you know he wanted to go on the front foot uh he had the he wanted to play out of the back he had a left sided bias where he was able to easily identify that uh, jaka is um, is you know pro, you know he wants to stay on the left he doesn't want to go on the right he doesn't want to play really deep he wants to play on the left and facilitate our attack down that side so first two three games you could make out that yes there is a plan you know there's a structure um, you know he's asking people to track back he's asking uh, you know he's making our defensive line looks like less incompetent than before you know obviously there were some there were some heartbreaks there the game with chelsea which we should have won we just completely got gassed in the second half i think uh, lampard probably outsmarted him a little bit by bringing in Jorginho and then Arteta couldn't react to that but we gave them that game right and um, you know so initially and then then he followed that up with like a win against Manchester United where for the first time in many many years we did not give United a sniff there was not a single chance where i felt nervous or or a single phase of play where i felt that united are going to score they're putting on pressure that kind of stuff that is what this arsenal team needs this arsenal team cannot improve until you teach them how to defend this arsenal team cannot cannot get to where you want where we wanted to get without first building from the back you know when emery came on we were like okay let's let's score goals overwhelm these uh, you know lower table sides and the defense we worry about later we'll we'll probably have to buy some uh, you know koulibaly level player and some attack level player to fix our defense but uh, you know that uh, i said that i will have a you know i i think we need to teach our defenders fundamentals and i think he's trying to do that right now he's trying to balance that up with with also a significant lack of creativity in in our midfield thanks thanks to messi rosal who's completely fallen off a cliff and is doing nothing for the amount of money that he's been paid i think um, you know if we had a james madison or a grealish or a half competent 
uh, you know, player who can be that hybrid eight or ten that's really popular right now in the league. Um, you know, we would have been in a much, much, much better place. I think uh, you know he has. Uh, so, so from a overall standpoint, I think what he's doing is for. I initially thought that he's going to take us back to, you know, playing free flowing attacking football, kind of like Arsene Wenger, and then fix stuff. But as I keep watching matches, as I keep analyzing the numbers coming out of the matches. I'm seeing that he is trying to fix the defense first, trying to uh, not allow as many shots as our, our, as we were conceding under Emery. And that has kind of led to the Norwich game. I know it's still just Norwich, but there's still an okay attack, attacking side. You know, uh, they were depleted by injuries at the back. They made a lot of mistakes yesterday. But for the first time in this, in this season, in a long time as well, we we allowed just 0.2 xG yesterday we did not allow a single shot from inside the inside the box and that for this arsenal team that's huge for a for a team that has who has two center backs who are david luiz and skodran mustafi that's huge you know that's that's like these are two you know supposedly uh, clown car sort of players uh, jokers who can't defend for them to have a near-perfect game, I know Mustafi went off in the second half because he was like tremendously overplayed. Is is it speaks volumes, you know, for Arteta to be able to take a player like Mustafi, who everybody thought is on his way out, complete waste of 35 million, and and have him become probably one of the top five players of the season, uh, or the early Mustafi when we first find him, is 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 tremendously commendable, and I think. Um, I think he knows the task is at hand. It's probably worse than what he thought it was. There are some players who will not, who 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 have fallen out of favor with him and won the place back, like Ceballos, like Maitland Niles. Uh, I think I think is probably one that won't survive the Arteta era. I think he'll probably be on his way out. I think he has a little bit of an ego. Uh, you know, he thinks he's the next big French thing, and he may well be. But uh, you know, if you're, uh, you know, I'm behind Arteta. I, I I like the fact that he. He has tried to build some sort of a meritocracy um, within the team where if you perform, you play. If you don't perform, you're going to sit out. You're not even going to make the match day score. And um, I pers- I'm, I'm excited. I know. I think the club need to back him. I, I, you know, I've seen enough in the last few games, uh, in the in the time that he's been here, and in the last few games to understand that any any screw ups that we've had have been personnel related, and to some extent. Related to Arteta's inexperience as a manager, like Olympiakos, you know, the, that game, that he could have been a little smarter in terms of his subs and some of the changes that he could have made. Um, with um, with Man City, I thought the team selection was kind of iffy, and then he, uh, you know, and then he made he was a little confused around some of the subs. So, um, and then with Brighton as well, I believe I I, I think he again he didn't have the personnel because of the injuries and stuff. But he could have made better subs there too, uh, and those subs that he made cost us the game. Uh, I think um, you know, so he's learning that aspect. But I can see him learning. I can see him pick up from those mistakes that he's made and then try and improve upon them. You know, initially I thought he would just play four two three one or four three three. Now he surprised us by you know playing a three four three. So you know he can show us he he's adaptable. In the game yesterday we switched from three four three to four three three. You know in the second half after Norwich started applying pressure on us, right? So I can see him learning. He seems like a smart guy. He seems like somebody who is open to feedback. He seems like someone who's 
who's uh, you know who's self-critical, um, and and I think that I think he needs to be back, and it doesn't need to it doesn't need to be it doesn't need to be Thomas Party. I mean, I would love to have Thomas Party in the team. I think he would give us that physical presence in midfield that we've lacked for years. Uh, and and Torreira is a presence. He's not a physical presence. You know, he's a little bit of a, like a hound dog sort of thing. And then before that, we had Flamini. So let, let's not talk about that. Um, but uh, I think he needs the right profile of players to get us where we need to get us. And 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 if expectations that are going to turn us into a top three team next year, that's not going to happen. You know, the 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 build is going to be slow and steady. There's a lot of there's a lot of shit in our club right now that he has been able to polish to some extent. This season, this season, and the remaining matches, um, you know, are just going to be that. Uh, but, but I think there's like a serious, serious overhaul required in the summer where a lot of players need to be dumped. You know, kind of like Mikitarian, you know, where we just got rid of him to get his wages off, and then a couple of others too that need to go. So, a uh, go very, very good point there that he's try- trying to uh, fix uh, the team from the back, playing out from the back, trying to fix the defense first, and. Uh, we saw a lot of posts saying uh, Arteta is the Simeone right now, the new Simeone right, right now, and he's on his way to becoming the next Pep. Let's just, just let's uh, talk around that for a bit. Yeah, so so my my friend Swarnadi, who's uh, you know who I chat with on a regular basis, uh, just chat and and he's on on another forum that that we're on. Um, he he kind of brought this up, and initially everybody was like the expectation was that. You know, he's trained under uh, under Pep. You know, he's the one who's been instrumental in improving players like Sterling, and he's done some work with KDB as well. Uh, so we're going to see the same style, uh, same positional play sort of uh, thing that that Pep has, the Juego, the position uh, that 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 Pep likes to play, where everybody knows you know where to pass the ball because they know the players are going to be there, and you know. Tremend, a uh, lot of use of half spaces and and structure and the way the team is set up, right? Uh, and lot of uh, lot of lot of uh, vertical ball movement and stuff, um, and lot of low crosses, which which has been the hallmark of this city side. But that's not the case, you know. He's not scared to mix it up. We've seen that his primary tactic has been to use overloads, and and he's not scared to use the long ball, you know. So you'll see. Primarily, when we first started, the first run of decent games that we had with him, a couple of draws in there, was essentially David Luiz, you know, trying to pick out somebody on the uh, Saka on the left hand side or Kolasinac on on the left hand side with using a long ball, and then we tried to get Aubameyang into play, who then moved into the middle, right? And then Jaka would cover cover the left back space or the left half space when the other players went forward. Uh, that's not that's not a pep. Tactic. That's 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 something that uh, he came up with, you know, to to maximize the uh, the the play out of the personnel that we have to get the best out of Jaka, to get the best out of Luis, and uh, you know that's something. If you notice the way Simeone plays, Simeone does that a lot, but he uses like a midfielder as sort of a target man at from time to time to play long balls down to his forwards, right? And I think he, initially when they saw some success, I think he would use Gabby. I think Gabby was the midfielder, or, uh, uh, you know, to, to do that. And and I think that he's trying to... And, and the, the kind of compact... Marcus, huh? Yeah, Marcus Lorente, Marcus Lorente for uh, that purpose, the one you're talking right now. Right. Converted to a 
forward guy. The midfield guy converted to a forward guy. Correct, correct. And then he had done this earlier. I don't know if it was Gabi. It was another player too. Uh, but that run, the first run they had to the Champions League final, I, I, I'll, I'll look it up and we'll probably bring it up in the next podcast that we do. He used one particular midfielder a lot to play those long balls to you know, bring his forwards into play. And it was tremendously successful. Um, and I think uh, Arteta's trying some variation of that. Uh, what he's struggling with a little bit is the right-hand side. Um, but I think that's also by design. Because with Arsene and with Unai, one of the biggest mistakes, and this is fundamentals. This is like, you know, this is the teacher in like high school level or middle school level football over here, soccer over here, is don't send your full, both your full backs up at once. You know, like we have hit, we have been, we have taken so many counter-attack goals as a team in the late Wenger era and with Unai Emery because both fullbacks were committed up the pitch. And even if you had a central midfielder back, that it was very easy to create overloads. Um, he doesn't do that. It, with Mikel Arteta, it's usually if the left side goes up, Bellerin stays back. And, um, you know, Bellerin, if Bellerin bombs forward, which is rarely, um, you know, then the other side will stay back. So th- that's the basics. <laughs> and uh, this has been to Bellerin's detriment a little bit. And, and people aren't seeing the value out of Bellerin right now because, you know, we are so used to him bombing up and down that flank. Um, you know, but he's, I, I think he's trying to, he's trying to get, give Pepe uh, as much opportunity while not, completely abandoning that flank. So if you have Pepe cutting inside and Bellerin overlapping and then lose the ball, I don't think they, they can both cover backwards as quickly. You may think they can, but they probably won't be able to. So uh, and there's no midfield on that side unless you have Torreira who can who can then shift over to cover. All right. They don't have that sharp profile there. Uh, because Sabayos is still further up. So uh, I think that's that's a that's a problem he needs to solve. From time to time, we've been able to get some success out of that. Uh, you know, with with those uh, with those some of those Pepe goals from like top of the box or outside the box and stuff. But I think that's still a problem he needs to solve. There's not enough happening down our right hand side. Um, you know, for us to be a completely functional unit. Great. So uh, we've spoken about the team. We've spoken about Mikel Arteta, and there is something. We need to speak more about Arsenal and that's the con- contract extension. I mean, Saka signed uh, an extension a great day yesterday, personally, because that guy needed to be uh, tied down with the club. Uh, a very good prospect in the making and you can see what he's contributed to this season. And uh, there's Pierre-Emery Aubameyang who scored his 50th goal yesterday. That's one of the questions. 50th and 51st, correct. And there's a question is, should Oba stay at Arsenal? Obviously, we're going to say yes. Uh, but how, how, how good is that contract extension looking? Do you think he will sign a new contract? So, a couple of things. Uh, on the Let's tackle the Oba piece first, then we come to contracts. Okay. So, should Oba stay at Arsenal? Uh, good question. Uh, I'm a little conflicted about this one. Right. If we manage to extend him, if we manage to extend him, and get rid of Ozil, I would say for sure. Because Ozil in no way deserves the amount of money that he's being paid. Right? However, if we do sell him and get a decent amount, I would be okay with that too. So I'm good either ways. Uh, if I was looking at it very objectively from a from a running the club standpoint, I would say it's probably time to sell him. Because he's about to hit his drop-off. And when that drop-off happens for a player who's... Uh, 
who relies on pace, but you know, Oba's positioning is also really good. You know that you're going to see those 22, 23, 24 goals a season impacted. It might come down to 15 to begin with, then it'll start going bad from there. Um, so if the if he doesn't want to stay, thank you for your service. You have done an amazing job in the face of you know the, these bums that you had to play with, uh, and and being you know played on the left. And then I can talk about him being played on the left as well for for ages, but we'll 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 save that for another time. Um, I think um, I think I think what Arsenal really have to weigh is how much can they get for him. I don't think you're going to get. Uh, I don't think with one year left on his contract for a 31 year old, you're going to get 40 million or even 30. I think you can get 20 to 25 realistically. Um, but is it worth taking that 20 to 25? And can the person you get for 20 to 25 fire you into the top four next season? Right. That's the that's the trade off that you have to make. And it may just and Arsenal may just feel that that it's worth taking that gamble simply because if he does if he does get us there, then you make up the money that you would have uh, that you would have gotten with his sale. Right. That's probably around the amount that uh, that you would get just for playing the group stages. Or just for participating, uh, and if he if he doesn't get there, then he leaves on a free. So either ways, it's going to cost me 20, 25 million next year, right? So either I lose his value off of a free transfer, or I take the gamble and I make that money back. Let him go on a let him go on a free. Make that money back by him getting us qualified. And if he gets us qualified, decides to say that that's an added bonus and stuff. So I am good either ways. I think most Arsenal fans are good either ways. The indications seem to be after Arteta's press conference yesterday, and some of the some of the stuff that's been posted on Twitter with between Aubameyang and 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 Maitland Niles, uh, and the interview that he gave, it's it's starting to take like a positive direction. After you know people saying that that there's been an impasse, he doesn't want to entertain a thought of being in the league. You know, probably he um, he may be feeling a little more positive than he was before by the last couple of results and stuff. Uh, but, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. I, I, I still don't think it's done done yet. I think it's he's probably open to talking. It really depends on the money that he wants. You know, if he wants 300k plus a week, are we in a position to pay that? I don't think we are. We can't have two of those guys on our books. It's just not feasible. You know, it's it's it, that would be bad business. Uh, if you can get Ozil off your books and pay Obama Yang that money, who's going to give you at least 15 goals, then I think it's probably worth it. Hmm, good. So, uh, Ozil, as it is, has a contract until Jan 2021. Yep. And, uh, and it's clear that uh, he's going to be phased out. Uh, Mkhitaryan's gone, uh, extending his loan and then, you know, another season at Roma. So, that's off wage bill. 11 million off our wage bill. Saka signed the contract extension. Um, and I think it's pretty much uh, we we have a lot to discuss. You know, even the next time when let's, we come, let's talk about the contract situation. So we didn't really cover that. So Saka signing is a huge deal. It would have been a huge kick in the nuts if he had you know decided to decided to leave uh, after having the season that he's had. And really, I mean, he deserves a new contract. He might he got his eleven assists. He's like not even twenty yet. You know, so you're going to have to recognize that. At the same time, we can't be paying him the kind of money that that Chelsea are playing uh, Callum Hudson Odoi. You know, that guy makes 180k a week, and I don't even know what he does uh, other than having a hyphenated name. So, <laughs> uh, um, 
I think that Saka is well worth the money. I think he deserves it. He's a Hayland product. Uh, he clearly, clearly can adapt to play. He can play anywhere on the left-hand side. When when was the last time you saw an Arsenal player who could do that? He play left wing. He he can play left centre mid. He can play left back competently. He's probably a better left back than Kolasinac, and he's he's contributing. You know, so so absolutely no reason why we should not have extended it. I'm uh, you know I think people were getting a little nervous that it uh, took as long as it did. Uh, you know, but but kudos to the to the Arsenal front office. They've taken a lot of shit over the last few months. You know, with the whole oh Kia Jurapchian is running the club, and why are we signing Cedric? And you know, why are we, why are we signing <laughs> Mari? And then why are we extending Luis? And I mean, you know, realistically, the guys running the club right now. Know more than me and you about these players, all right? Yeah, uh, true. Yeah. Raul Sanlehi may have a, you know, a a different uh, may have this approach where he trusts agents more than he does just data. But sometimes you need that. You can't you can't sit and bitch and say that oh we don't assign players like the big clubs do. And then when you are following the methodology that the big clubs do, then you're like oh oh my god this is not the way the the you know the the club should be run. I mean, you know, for every for every um, Pepe that you sign, for every Cedric that you sign, there will be a Guindosi that we're going to go and try and find, right? There are, um, you know, there is the scouting system is still there. It's not we are not we are not getting rid of it completely. There's we're not just calling people and trying to get their players. I mean, Cedric is a is a competent backup. I don't know who you, I, I'm just trying to understand here. You know, Chelsea made Chelsea spent a lot of money on Zappa Costa. All right, he hardly played, but when he played, he did okay. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't like screw stuff up. You know, is is it's a backup right back, guys? Come on, at the <laughs> at best, he will push Bellerin. You know, at at worst, he will you know he will leave after four years. And he, what is he on like 60, 70k a week? I mean, come on, that's that's nothing given the amount of revenue we pull in. Um, I can understand the angst around David Luiz and his contract. Again, a lot of it was based off of that Amy Lawrence report that came out yeah. that said that uh, you know he's uh, he's he's being paid 180k a week. We paid Ajrabchian uh, million fees to sign him, and then that was completely debunked just by looking at the amount of money that we spent on fees over the last year, which is a total of 30 million, which is probably the seventh highest in the league. We spent the same amount on agent fees as Spurs did, as West Ham did. Significantly less than Man City, significantly less than Liverpool, significantly less than United. Uh, so, I mean, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot. It's very easy to rile up Arsenal fans online. You know, a lot of bloggers are doing this now too. Uh, you know, where they have this notion of how a club should be run. We will not become Liverpool overnight. We will not become Liverpool in a year, yeah. two years. It took them. Three or four years to get to where they are. Five years. You know, I mean, I don't know if I'm better than guy, but at least give him that chance, give him that runway. You know, every move we made this makes sense. Pablo was the guy that Arteta wanted. He wanted left footed centre back. We got him. He liked him. Right. Cedric is a backup back. You know, Arteta liked him. Otherwise, we won't have time. So let's let's let's. David Luiz is on significantly reduced wages for another year. Every single player is that they like, that they appreciate his input, the way he motivates them, the stuff he teaches them. 
he is error prone. I understand that. Who is not error prone in our backline? I, I I know we need an Upamecano. I know we need, uh, you know, an, a future elite center back. We bought Sadiba for that reason. But you need somebody to kind of, you know, allow those guys to break through. And that's that's where we are right now. We're a sixth, seventh place club. And those are the kind of players you will sign, you know, for the time being. So, I I honestly, this week has been really good for Sunlehi and company. I mean, they've been, like I said, they've taken a lot of heat. But they've come out on the other side with a lot of, you know, with a lot of positives and a lot of the wage bill. And I think you that throughout the summer. Um, yeah. you know, if you look at our transfer business objectively over the last two years, we have signed players to our needs, not based on, you know, oh, this guy, this, this elite player is available, sign him for the sake of it, even if he doesn't fit into our team. Now, every player bought has been to fulfill a particular gap in the squad. And I think that's yeah. what we're going to take this summer as well. Correct, 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 correct. Be it Bird Leno, be it Kiran Tierney, William Saliba, Nicholas Pepe, Gabriel Martinelli, yeah. or yeah, for that matter, Cedric and yeah. Pablo Tierney yeah. looks like a bargain for 25 million right now. I mean, you know, he's uh, the guy is solid. Uh, you know, he's no nonsense. He can, uh, he doesn't get ruffled easily. Uh, you know, and, and he can, his crosses can beat the first man. How many, how many Arsenal fullbacks can you say that about? <laughs> True, true. The, the neat and tidy guy, uh, shirt tucked in and yep. ruling that line. Yep. Big, big future for him if he's managed well. You know, I always add the big ifs because, you know, uh, sometimes you have to eat your words again in the future. But uh, a very good comprehensive uh, analysis of Liverpool and of Arsenal. And uh, if we could skim through quickly through the top four uh, and uh, get on the hype train, the Bruno Pogba hype train, and, uh, you know, let's uh, have your thoughts on Bruno Fernandes. I, I really like him. I, I've always liked him. I I, I, I was um, at the first, for the fun, first time I thought that um, United are uh, are signing someone that they really, really need. They've needed a Bruno Fernandes the last five years, right? So, they I know they signed Mada and they had other players that they were trying to kind of shoehorn into that place like Pogba and stuff. But... That's the player that they need. They needed that profile, that hybrid 8 slash 10 who can take pressure off of uh, Pogba and can contribute goals as well as assists and set pieces. And what has that done? That's liberated Nemanja Matic. You know, Matic was being asked to do too much. Now, now the reason that they comprehensively beat Brighton was because there was so much focus on marking Bruno and Pogba that Matic was left completely alone. And Matic left alone with no pressure is an elite distributor of the ball. You know, that's Chelsea rode him and Kante to, you know, to to, to a Premier League title, right? So, uh, you know, you he still has some of that left in him. If you, if you pressure him like we did, in a couple of games, you know, he tends to buckle a bit. But, you know, if you have relievers around him, players who are press-resistant, like Bruno and Pogba, you can get a lot out of them. And uh, United are starting to look like a, a, a competent side right now. I mean, you know, uh, my my biggest complaint about Ole was, you know, I know he can play counter-attacking football. He can play it really well. Can he play fluid, you know, forward-flowing football, right? Can he be the aggressor? And that's starting to come to the fore a little bit. Uh, because of the because of the signing of Fernandez, I also think that they are seeing a bit of a Bruno bounce right now because of you know people haven't figured out how to play Bruno Fernandez yet. Uh, 
you know there will be a there will be somebody who figures that out and then that will permeate through the league and you might see a little regression or he just ends up being the elite player that they that that he looks like right now he could be on the way to becoming and and they write that i think i think united can make top 4 i think just based on the schedule alone uh, the games they have left um it the playing style of the teams that they have left suits them um you know that they have multiple ways to get at them and and i think they have a path to the top 4 they they're my sleeper pick um i i think they might i think they might actually they they might go they, that might be a chelsea's expense i also think wolves have a chance just simply based on adama and raul jimenez's form uh adama is like downright um unplayable right now you know for a guy who was made fun of um you know Uh, so consistently that he can only dribble he loses the ball he has bad first touch <coughs> he's dominated games and that's kudos to nuno and uh, you know they have an they have this uh, kind of reactive almost uh, leicester city title winning side way of playing but that's effective man if you have the right personnel you can make it work so i uh, my call right now if you ask me is that i, I think United and Wolves will make top four at the expense of Leicester and Chelsea. Leicester are in a bit of free fall right now. XG is catching up with them a bit. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were outperforming XG significantly at the beginning of the season. That went under the radar because a lot of this was on Arsenal and other and Liverpool's good season and City's, you know, City falling behind. But people didn't realize how how much they were reliant on Jamie Vardy's finishing ability. and that's starting to that's starting to fall apart a little bit right now i think sheffield sheffield will not be in the mix they've just they've just had like setbacks with injuries and stuff but those those are my two sleep picks i think there's a there's mind they those two might sneak into the top four oh great so let's uh, wrap it up on that uh, note i mean yeah. uh, we've uh, fulfilled the agenda we were as it is going to speak about Liverpool's uh, title uh, triumph, Jurgen Klopp, and the FSG model. You're going to talk about Arteta, the transition process, the ins and outs, what needs needs to happen. We have pretty more, much to discuss, but that can be get carried on on the next episode. And we have a game in progress where Sheffield and Tottenham both scored for uh, um, Sheffield, and then Kane equalised, and then it was ruled out. And we kind of missed Mourinho's masala. He was arguing for a bit. so we have to catch up on that also uh, we have the meeting of the champions in a couple of Dude, hours in yeah. hour, in hour. yeah we will be giving and a god of honor honor to god of honor <laughs> so yeah so make sure to catch on that uh, i think we've done more than justice to this episode thank you so much for joining on a short notice and uh, yeah. as is being spot on there so uh, let's connect sometime soon and uh, let's carry on further so cheers guys I hope you enjoyed this Hubhopper original podcast. If you want to get started with your own show, please do get in touch. We'd love to have you on board. Send an email to info@hubhopper.com. That's info@hubhopper.com and we'll get back to you in a flash. We're looking forward to creating some great audio content together.